0: Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter and This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are serving as a caregiver. Are you one of them? If so, you're in the right place. I know, a show for caregivers. who to have thunk? Well, I thunk it. And we've been doing it now for more than 10 years. Reaching people who are caring for vulnerable loved ones, standing between them and even worse disaster, with practical help and God's Word to be able to give them clear understanding of how to function in this, how to find safety, how to find peace and calmness and joy, and to grieve out in a healthy manner the heartache that you carry as you watch somebody struggle and suffer. And it could be something like autism. Could be addiction, could be alcoholism, could be mental illness, could be Alzheimer's, cancer. There's no end to the afflictions that we face in this world, in this broken world. But there's always a caregiver somewhere in orbit around that individual. And that caregiver struggles in the dark places of the night with how am I going to get through this? What are we going to do? How do I process this? How do I deal with being cursed at while I'm trying to change an adult diaper? How do I deal with somebody who is spiraling out of control with addiction? All of these things cause great angst for the family caregiver. Now, this program, we don't talk a lot about caregiving, the task, because all the tasks, they're well, most of them are just one and done. You, you do it one time, you got it. You know how to do it. And it's not what keeps us up late at night. What, what does that for us is the fear and the, the guilt, the despair, the rage, the resentment. All those things that just torque at us. How do we reshape our minds? How do we change the way we do things in order to deal with these realities? If caregivers mapped out a decision tree for our lives, it would look like a forest. You know, because each day we're faced with all these choices. And what do we do? And, and, and most of them seem filled with unpleasant outcomes. And it seems like there's no good path. What do we do? I mean, have you ever stayed up late at night talking to your ceiling fan? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Does the ceiling fan answer? <laughs> Well, if your ceiling fan is answering you, then we have a different conversation, but I I have it on good authority that most ceiling fans do not answer. And Maybe we should stop asking the ceiling fan, and maybe we should go to the Word of God. Because God does speak to those places. He does speak to that fear. He does speak to that guilt, that despair, that anger, that rage, that resentment, that uncertainty, that lack of clarity. All of those things He addresses in Scripture. May not be, you know, in, in context of your unique situation or my unique situation. I've looked through the entire scripture. I haven't seen anybody carrying in scripture for a wife who's had 80 plus surgeries and both her legs amputated and been doing this for almost 40 years. I haven't seen that in scripture. But I've seen a lot of places in scripture where it talks about worry, despair, anger, heartache and all the other things that we feel as caregivers. And the decisions that lie before us can be so daunting that it paralyzes us. We, we don't know what to do next. So what does Scripture say? Well, if you don't know what to do, if, if you don't have any wisdom, let him ask. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. There's all kinds of Scriptures that address this. But in those moments when we are just paralyzed with this, we don't know what to do. Here's something based on scriptural principles. You do the next right thing is our action step. What's the next right thing? And the big problems become more approachable when our heads and hearts calm down. And so we we have to... Learning to calm ourselves down is the, one of the biggest challenges we face as a caregiver. And, and for that to happen, our decisions often require... Uh, for lack of a better word, reduction. And unlike, you know, you've heard the the phrase eating the elephant one bite at a time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about decision reduction. And it helps us focus by redirecting our eyes from all the choices that we have to the micro steps that are right in our path. You know, maybe the next right thing to do is drink some water. You remember that story, by the way, of Elijah after he had the big um, brouhaha, that's a word people don't use a lot, with the prophets of Baal. And the fire came down and it burned them up and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was a huge victory. It didn't burn them up. It burned up the altar and the sacrifice. And then he found out Jezebel was after him. So he ran. I mean, he, he was afraid and he ran. He ran out in the wilderness And he he started heading towards basically Mount Sinai is where he was going. And along the way, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord came in and had a meal for him, woke him up, hit him with a little stick or something, woke him up, shook him awake, and said, you know, get up, eat. You you got a long journey ahead of you. The next right thing may be just to have a good meal, a heart-healthy meal. It may be, you know, a bowl of soup or take a nap or even go on a walk that may be the next right thing for you to do the problem usually remains no matter what we do but we could tackle it better with a calmer and a more disciplined mind now when we start thinking like this and you let me know let me know if i'm i'm hitting it wrong here but i think we all invariably know what the next right thing to do is. I mean, the immediate thing. I'm not trying to solve the multi-million dollar hospital bill. I'm just, what's the next right thing to do? And we usually know what that is. We just often require permission. And usually from ourselves. Take everybody else's voice out of the equation. Take all those voices out of the equation and just be still for a moment and think. okay, what's the next right thing I need to do? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? What are those spells? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired spells? Halt. I mean, just stop. Birdman told me that. I thought that was brilliant. Just Halt. Take a moment. What are you? Are you hungry? Then eat something. Are you angry? Then cool off. Drink some water. Go for a walk. Are you lonely? Phone a friend. Call someone. Are you tired? Take a nap. We don't always know how to tackle all the big things here. We really don't. But we do know what the next right thing is. And we're given direction on this in Scripture. The the Bible says, uh, God's word is a lamp unto my feet. Not a searchlight, it's a lamp. Do the next right thing with the light that is provided. Stay focused on just the next right thing until you find yourself calming down settling down and then you can you can move into the next issues that we got to deal with and maybe learn to ask for help or or whatever but right now just do the next right thing are you hungry are you angry are you lonely are you tired if you're any of those things then just take a moment and address that and then we'll go to the next step and the next step do the next right thing okay this is Peter Rosenberger this is hope for the caregiver hope for the join our Facebook group at hope for the caregiver be a part of what we're doing don't try to do this all by yourself we'll be right back
1: in a world where no one can tell us no
2: To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in His image. A place where
1: Facebook and YouTube have no control.
2: I think the command in Scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A
1: place where we can no longer
2: be
3: canceled. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you
1: understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. Steve Russo
3: with Real Answers. No one totally understands electricity. Scientists talk about it as a fundamental element of all matter. They can create electrical charges and harness them to use. But as a scientist once said, electricity in its essence is unexplainable. Even though we can't completely
0: understand electricity, that doesn't stop us from using it. When you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you may not totally understand everything to start with, but as you read the Bible and allow God to teach you, your understanding will grow. Have you decided to become a follower of Jesus yet, to
3: trust His Word, the Bible, over everything you are reading and hearing about spirituality? Few of us really
0: understand just how much we've been forgiven, but you don't need to understand everything all at once. God only asks you to believe and take the first step. Mistakes may be
1: just a decision away. You need real answers. Steve Russo has resources that can help. Check out his website at realanswers.com.
0: Welcome back to the program. This is Peter Rosenberger. We're glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. 41 years ago this month, I met two very special people. We were all freshmen at Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. Now it's called Columbia International University. And that's John and Cindy Hampshire. They've gone on to have an amazing ministerial career in missions with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And they are in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Did I get that right, John? That's right. And with your indulgence, I'd like to depart a little bit from our caregiving scenarios and our caregiver issues and talk about missions, global missions. And one of the reasons I'm having John and Cindy on today is when people ask me a lot, what do you do? And I said, well, you ever heard of Wycliffe Bible Translators? They said, yeah. And I said, well, I kind of do that for caregivers. I help them understand the gospel In a way that caregivers can process it. And John and Cindy have been a model for me because that's what they do with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I thought, well, instead of just always making comparisons, why don't I have the real deal on here? So we set up a Zoom call, and it's great to be able to see you guys and have you on the program. And John, after all these years, other than the white hair, you really haven't changed very much. (laughs) You look great. And it's just a treat to have you
2: both here. Uh, Thanks, Peter. It's great to join you and I appreciate the invitation to share with you today. Um, Cindy and I have been with Wycliffe for about 34 years. Uh, We joined Wycliffe Bible Translators right after Bible College, and uh, the Lord led us to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, what was then Zaire, it used to be called Zaire, but uh, through a series of insecurities and wars, they changed the name in the 90s and we work in the Congo and uh, we have a deep joy to be here uh, our desire really is to see lives transformed by an understanding of god's word and we recognize that there are many many languages here in the congo people speak french and people speak swahili and their bibles in french and there's bibles in swahili but until they really have god's word in the language of their hearts their mother tongues they don't really have a deep understanding of scriptures and so that's why we're here. We're here to uh, help them have those scriptures in their heart languages, in their mother tongues.
0: When you show up on the field to do this, what does that look like? I mean, walk us through, because this is this is a huge journey to be able to translate scriptures like this.
2: And what, what does that look like when you show up on the mission field? When we showed up 30 years ago in the Congo in 1992, things looked a little differently for us then. Uh, there were different fat one family worked in one language project and could be there for the life of the language project they had to analyze the language figure out how it works because the language wasn't written down these languages aren't written down so we've got to figure out what letters they're going to use in their alphabet their orthography and uh, before we can ever start translating and then we start into translation. Um, that was 30 years ago. These days, all of the Bible translation work that's being done here in the Congo is being done by Congolese. And we are coming alongside and training them and equipping them and providing computers for them and searching for funds for them and prayer support. And so really we're, we're uh, supporting our Congolese brothers and sisters in the work that they're doing. There are 200 languages in the Congo, just in our country, 200 languages. And right now we're working in about 50 of those languages at various stages. Some of those are still developing the language and writing it down. Others are into Bible translation. Others are doing literacy work or a combination of Bible translation and literacy work to teach the people to read and write. Uh, We also do audio recordings so that uh, people can have the scriptures available on their smartphones and they can listen to them because we recognize that not everybody's going to learn to read and write but people can listen to the scriptures in their heart languages and so uh, yeah it's a huge task before us but we work with our congolese brothers and sisters in partnership with them and the churches and that's how uh, things are getting done here in relative
0: Size-wise, how big is the Congo? Give me a perspective, like in the United States, uh, how big would the
2: condo Um, fit? Well, if you take the continental United States, the Congo is as big as the United States east of the Mississippi River. So if you take the Mississippi River and cut the country, um, the Congo would fit in the eastern part, everything east of the Mississippi River. That's how big the Congo is. Most of it's rainforest. Uh, So... uh, where we used to live in a in a village location, it rained 11 months of the year <laughs> uh, because we lived in the rainforest. We don't live in that location now. We're in a town that's a little more temperate. And um, but uh, the Congo is a vast country, a big country with very little road, very little infrastructure. Uh, there's a lot of issues and security issues here, and uh, it's been like that for decades. And so there are many challenges to the work here. Um, but we've got really committed uh, Congolese brothers and sisters, Congolese Christians who are really committed to the task, just as much as we are, and really want to see uh, God's word available in their heart languages. Do you ever find yourself in a
0: place where you guys don't feel secure? I mean, that you're, you've been in very dangerous
2: situations? We have been in very dangerous situations. We've had to leave the country. Um But, you know, I always tell people uh, the safest place for us to be is in the center of God's will. That doesn't mean an absence of danger or an absence of death even. You know, we could lose our lives. But I define safety differently. Safety to me is knowing you are where God wants you and nothing's going to happen to you that he doesn't know about and he doesn't allow. And so we're safe. We're safe in his will. He wants us here. Uh, it can be a dangerous place. We just rely on him for our welfare. And uh, we trust we trust his plan for our lives. You know, That's a message that
0: I've been talking to this audience about is learning that we can be safe and free and um, even joyful in the midst of very harsh circumstances. You and Cindy have had that journey. What was it like when you guys had to evacuate? You had your kids over there. When, when the kids looked at you, you looked at them, you looked at Cindy you know, what was that like for you to have to, to evacuate to flee because it was dangerous?
2: Yeah, lots of questions came up. God, what are you doing? You know, we've got to leave the country that we thought you were sending us to. Um, questions and concerns and and a sense of loss of the ministry because we had to go to Kenya for 12 years and live there while, uh, while it was insecure here. Um, and yet, uh, you know, you just have to keep trusting in the Lord and in his plan. And um, he allowed the work here to continue. And in some ways it caused the Congolese uh, brothers and sisters to take up more responsibility and more ownership of the work when the expats had to leave. And so, yeah, it was a scary time. It was a hard time. We lost, we we literally lost everything we owned here, but uh, God provided, he's just uh, Jehovah Jireh. He provided everything we need through friends and churches and supporters and um, and we never lacked for anything and so it, it could be a scary time but you know when you when we trusted God he just uh, he was there with us every step of the way
0: are the Congolese people have you found them to be very receptive to you uh, through this process
2: they are and in fact we are this is a very open country it's not like some of the closed countries, uh, where work is going on, where missions, missions work is going on. And it's very open here. We are invited in by the churches to help them do the Bible translation work. So we're here at their invitation. We find that Congolese people uh, overall are very friendly, very receptive, very hospitable, very personable. And, uh, and so we, we just have, uh, we're, we're welcomed here and we have a lot of friends here.
0: What um, we worked in Ghana, we still do. Uh, been over there and we found a lot of the same things that they were very receptive. We worked with their government to teach and train with prosthetics. And we found that I have not I've had people reach out from Congo to do prosthetics, but we haven't had an infrastructure there, but I have one now because of you. And uh, so hopefully we could work that out. I have treated patients um, from Kenya. We had our first patient from Kenya this year. I got to brush up on my Swahili. Let me see if I do okay with it. Zuri Abaragani.
2: We uh, mazuri
0: sana na we we jay. <laughs> now that's about all I got. <laughs> that's
2: all I got. So, how many languages do you speak? Uh, all of our business at the office is in French, so we speak French, and that because French is the official language of the country, being a former Belgian colony. Uh, but then Cindy and I also speak Swahili. We find a lot of our, our workers, uh, the, the guard staff at the office, they don't speak French that well. They prefer Swahili, so we use Swahili with them. Uh, we speak French and Congolese Swahili. Do you, all your children speak the same French and Swahili? No, because uh, our boys uh, grew up, you know, they were both born in Kenya and lived there until we moved back to the States. Our girls speak some French. Um, they know a little bit of Swahili, but they speak more French. And uh, our, our one daughter lived in France and worked as an au pair for a year. And so bo- both are, and Burundi as well. So both our daughters speak some French.
0: Well, I I remember you being a lot better student than I was, John. And Cindy was a lot better student than both of us put together.
2: I got and by by the skin of my teeth and on Cindy's coattails. I, I graduated. <laughs> thank you, Lottie. <laughs> and so, uh, but, uh, but I, I
0: not from Columbia. I ended up leaving there, uh, several years into it, ended up getting a degree in music, but I, I cherish my time. I wish, I wish I'd been a little bit better student while I was there. And, uh, because we had the benefit, uh, we, we benefited from some great
2: teachers, didn't we? We did. And, uh, you may wish that you were a better student, Peter, but I appreciated your music ministry at Columbia. I remember going into uh, shortest chapel and it being dark in there, and you'd just be in there playing the piano. And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, from time to time. And that, that was a real ministry to me. Um, oh. You know, you could see the joy in your in your life, uh, playing the piano before no crowd at all in a dark, shortest chapel auditorium. Um, so I think a lot of good came out of Columbia, despite ourselves. Just, well, I'm, I'm counting on it. And thank
0: you for remembering that about playing the piano there. I I love those times. They had a beautiful nine-foot Steinway there in the chapel. So enjoyed being able to go over there and play. And I, I didn't know you were listening, so thank you for that memory. I'm talking with my friends John and Cindy Hampshire. They're missionaries with Wycliffe Bible, translators in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Cindy's not on camera, but I know she's listening, and she'll chime in if I say something goofy. Cindy and I always had to sit by each other in class when they had any type of attendance because her maiden name was Rainsberger, so uh, I got to know Cindy quite well. I think you two started dating the first week of school, the first week you met each other, and you're such a wonderful couple. You inspire me. You encourage me. You strengthen my faith. I know you are strengthening this audience's faith. This is why we're talking about this today. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Here's Pastor Jeff Shree with From His Heart Ministries. Do you have anything difficult in your life? Something that's facing you right now that is just too difficult for you? It may be impossible for you. It's not impossible for him. And he wants to do a miracle in your life today. Find real hope when you discover the power of Christ join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart, weeknights at 6 Central, here on American Family Radio. It is God's love that holds us in our journey through life. And like the rope for the mountain climbers, it is not a rope that we have to hold on to. It is a rope that we are connected to by virtue of God's love for us. Dr. David Jeremiah continues our focus on the love of Christ with a special message next time on Turning Point. a.m. and 7 p.m.
3: Central on American Family Radio.
1: Hi, I'm John Sorensen, President of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. Joshua was just a child. There was no way that he could be able to talk with others about his faith, or at least that's what he thought. But then something amazing happened. He was discipled in a Hope for Kids training in India during a Sunday school class, and shortly after the training, Joshua had the idea to draw two question marks on his T-shirt. The question marks represented two important diagnostic questions that he could ask that would begin sharing the gospel. His father said that a flame ignited in Joshua's heart. He went on a rampage asking the two questions to everyone that he met. And this led to many discussions about Jesus where many made a decision to trust in Jesus. Joshua was not only able to share with his peers, but he also had the opportunity to share with adults. At such a young age, wherever Joshua goes, the gospel goes with him. Sharing the good news is for everyone. For more, visit sharelife.today.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We're talking with John Hampshire. He's over the Democratic Republic of Congo with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He and his wife, Cindy, I've known them for a long time, knew him when they first started dating. I have admired their work from a distance and been negligent to have them on the program, and I'm trying to right a wrong now and have them here because I think what they're doing is so important Uh, And it's also very personally meaningful to me. I've modeled a lot of what I do for the family caregiver after their work. John, I do read your stuff, by the way, and I do pay attention to what you do. Don't tell anybody. And what I've done is I've understood that I've had to immerse myself in this world. And then I've had to learn the, the heart issues that go on with the caregiver before I can even speak to my fellow caregivers. I've had to do this. And with With Bible translation, you don't just uh, show up to people you've never met before and start translating the Bible to their language. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to understand their history, their culture, what's going on in their heart to be able to explain it. But you have to also be walking with the Lord in such a way that you're going to get insights into this from Scripture. John, what has surprised you the most about going into a culture that you, you know, stepping out stepping off the plane and literally going into a culture like this. And you're, you're entrusted with the word of God to speak to these people. I mean, that's, that's got to be a, a tremendous responsibility. And I I know it almost kind of makes the the thought of it makes my knees quiver a little bit to think about the responsibility of that. What goes on in your heart and your
2: mind with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it, it makes me need to be vulnerable for a second um, yeah, it's a it's an important task and a and a significant ministry. Um, but I discovered thirty years ago when we first arrived here. I think I was ready to do the Bible translation work. I was trained. I had four years of Bible college. I had a year of linguistics and translation training and uh, phonology and all of that kind of training. Um, but I didn't really have a love. For the Congolese people at that point. I, you know, the, the, um, you, you're not just going to automatically start loving people you work with, at least that's what I found. And I had to pray, Lord, just give me a real love and a real heart for these people so that what I'm doing is genuine and uh, something that I want to do and something that uh, will be significant for these people not just because it's a job work for me to do, but because I love them. And because the Lord has asked me to come here, he's commissioned me basically to come here and do this. And God did that. God gave me a love for the Congolese people. And uh, Cindy has a love for the Congolese people as well. And so we discovered that, you know, you can have all, uh, let me say, I'll, I personally discovered, you can have all of the training and all of the know-how, but if your heart really isn't in it, it's really tough, and the Lord gave me a love for these people. Uh, we just have so much joy to be here, and uh, they're friends of ours. They're not just, you know, a ministry, but these are genuine close friends that we're working with. Uh, when we some year do leave here, it'll be tough. It'll be tough to leave our friends uh, because God's given us a love for them.
0: You and Cindy have been married now thirty-eight years. 37 years. years. Yeah. 37. 37. We just, we just had our 36th anniversary this last week and you know, your whole life has been spent in this journey. Um, What has that done for the two of you all that you, you, you know, you've been in a place where you've had to kind of lean on each other in ways that maybe a lot of couples don't, don't have to experience. Cindy, you're welcome to weigh in on this, by the way. I'm
2: I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm giving her the eye and asking her to come and weigh in on it. I think the Lord, you know, draws us closer to each other every year um, and to him. Uh, you know, Cindy's my best friend and has been since I met her. And uh, in this, we've discovered in this ministry, you know, it's really, it's really good to be friends because you spend a lot of time together. Um, and, uh, and the Lord has just, you know, drawn us closer to each other and to him you know, through the 37 years that we've been married. So some people that may sound cheesy, but it's, it's really,
0: no, true. it doesn't. It doesn't sound cheesy.
1: So some people say no way could they work, you know, with their husband or the wife, but we are together all the time. We work together. So even the COVID thing where everybody had to stay in and people had to stay with in close quarters. Oh, well, we do that all the time. Anyway, it was no big deal for us because we do work very closely with one another in, um, We're grateful that we can do that, that we've had that these years. And so we're a team. We do a lot together, even our letters that we write and send out. We do that as a team. Um, We do have to spend time apart. We did spend 31 or two days in separate countries this summer on um, part of it, planned, part not. Um, And, you know, so we do not, we do have some time to depart, but we're grateful that
0: we're a team. Now, do you teach a lot as well as translate? I mean, are you preaching? Are you teaching? You know what? What does an average day look like for you guys?
2: We were trained to be translators, linguists, and literacy workers, and we did actually that for a very short amount of time. And I was drawn into administration, so I've started. Uh, I've been in administration. I'm the branch director, and. Um, I've done various admin jobs over the years, uh, but right now I'm the branch director. Cindy is our bookkeeper, so she works with numbers all day long. She's our finance person. She was a better
0: student than both of us. I I do recall that very
2: well. (laughs) She's training and mentoring Congolese uh, people to do uh, bookkeeping work and uh, uh, working with financial reports and things like that. Um, I'm also mentoring Congolese in various aspects of leadership and administration. And uh, so we do, we do consider ourselves teachers, trainers, mentors, but we both really have admin jobs and have for a long time.
0: There are a lot of folks right now that are you know, searching out what God would have them do for their lives. And as they think about the mission field, uh, a lot has changed on the mission field. From when you guys started to where you are now, we we couldn't even do a have this kind of conversation many years ago when you first started. But what would you um, what were your first thoughts you would share with anybody that's considering mission work like what you do, whether it's Bible translating, whether it's medical missions, or whatever?
2: What are some thoughts that you would offer to them? I think I would say um, I would say this, Peter. When when I was at Bible College. It, we had a chapel speaker who challenged us to be ready to follow God, to obey God, anytime, anywhere, and in any capacity or any place. And um, that's the most important thing. Once you make that decision, I'm going to follow you, God, whenever you tell me to go, whether it's today, tomorrow, or next year, or, or to stay here, I'm going to follow you anywhere. So even if it's to a country like Zaire, back in the 90s, that was in bad shape. And I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And if you come to that decision, and really make that commitment, then everything else just sort of falls into place. Um, You know, I've seen people make lists of pros and cons, you know, pros and cons of coming to work in the Congo. This is all the things that are for going there, and these are all the things that are against going there and now i'm going to weigh those things out well, you can do that, I guess, but I think really the key is just being open. and obedient to God's leading it's a very simple message trust and obey it's a message that you know Cindy and I have tried to follow for years it's very simple it sounds simplistic but it's really very profound if you trust God and obey him. Then you know he leads and he guides and he he opens doors and he closes doors and he tells you where he wants you to be. You know I've been
0: doing a whole series of things. Um, every time I do one of the programs, and I do 25 hymns that every Christian ought to know because we've gotten away from the hymns so much in our churches. Of course, you and I were spoiled and we got to sit in there in chapel with a, a thousand people singing full-throated of, uh, and you and Cindy, of course, travel with the choir and so forth. And we, I miss that a lot. And that's a, I may have to step over here to the caregiver keyboard. But I love that hymn. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abideth; He abides with us still. I don't have my glasses on, John. And with all who will trust and obey. And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That is it's a, a simple um, message, but it's really
2: profound. Do do the Congolese people like to sing these hymns? They do. Um, there's a there's a Congolese style of music as well. And sometimes they put these hymns to that style of music, uh, but they do listen. They do sing some of the old hymns. Um, they also sing the praise songs. Congolese are great musicians. They love to sing. They love to dance when they sing. They don't stand still when they sing. And uh, they're, they're very musical people.
0: I'm, I'm mentally trying to picture you dancing with them. Yeah, and I don't dance so much. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not so sure that's a visual I'm prepared for, John. And... Uh, <laughs> When they sing what in, in their own language, you know is there is there great passion for these
2: things when they when they do these? Yes, it takes on a whole different demeanor when they're singing in their heart language. And there are songs. They write songs for their own languages, uh, and then they develop hymn books, and we've had hymn books printed of script of songs that they've written in their mother tongues. They're a lot different than when they sing the French and the Swahili. I mean, they get into the French and the Swahili songs, too. But when they sing in their mother tongue, it's a whole new ballgame.
0: You know, I've witnessed that in Ghana when we've gone over there in West Africa many times. And it's so beautiful to see the exuberance and the worship and you listen to it without the encumbrance of Western style, just to watch, just to observe. And I think it's a picture of how we're all called to be able to worship Christ, that we can worship him in spirit and truth And for me as a caregiver and for this audience, one of the things I try to do is help us to understand what it's like to do this in our own language, you know, as caregivers in the midst of our heartache, to express ourselves, to be able to have that freedom without the encumbrance of what other people think we might ought to do. And it's again, another picture of the greater body of Christ that John, you and Cindy continue to inspire me to understand. You just bring these wonderful illustrations, so I thank you for that. I'm talking with John and Cindy Hampshire. They are with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We've got more to go. One more segment here, and I want to ask him a few more questions while I got him. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? I've had that privilege many times through our organization Standing With Hope. When my wife Gracie gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs They go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com.
3: This is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson. In a recent episode of Securing America with Frank Gaffney, Frank and former CIA operative Sam Thadis discussed the large number of politicians and others in authority who are quote-unquote in bed with Beijing. Frank asked, how do we fix the magnitude of the problem? How do we get a course correction other than by getting ourselves a new set of politicians? How important is it to purge our political elites that have these compromised relationships with the Chinese Communist Party. Sam stated, that's the heart of the matter. If folks don't understand, that's what's required. They don't have their hands around the magnitude of the issue. We have a huge number of individuals in public office or other positions of power who are playing for the other team. There are those in the U.S. who are taking their orders from Beijing. Diligently research candidates and remember, in November, this is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. That is the incomparable C.C. and singing one of the 25 songs that every Christian ought to know. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. A lady that wrote the tune for that came to Fanny Crosby and said, I've got this tune I've been working on. Do you have a text for it? And as the story goes, 15 minutes later, they had this hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. It was a great hymn. We're talking with my longtime friends, John and Cindy Hampshire. They are with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the reason I wanted to spend some time with them today is to, for twofold, really, because I really enjoy what they do. I enjoy their work and their ministry. And I also want to introduce them to you all and to explore what's going on around the world with Christians and the kingdom of God how we can draw strength from the stories of others. Sometimes as caregivers, we kind of get locked in our own little bubbles and I want to be able to expand our horizons a bit and see what's going on on a worldwide level, a global level through the kingdom of God. John, not too long ago, I I was watching a lot of documentaries. I like to watch them and I watched the documentary on John Wycliffe and I was struck by all that was happening during the Reformation when we had such biblical illiteracy. It's astonishing to know that John Wycliffe's body was exhumed, his bones were exhumed 38 years after he died, and they were burned. His bones were burned in the castle of the sea. You know all the story, cast on the river, and because they were so angry with him for translating the Bible. And I look at today's world, and one of the things that I think is really heartbreaking is that we have so much available, available to us on our smartphones, and yet biblical illiteracy is still a massive problem. Whereas we have it, but we're not processing it into our hearts. You are there every day doing this, and you've been doing it for your entire career. Talk a little bit about the Word of God as, it, as you translate it and, and the, the look when you see people understand a concept that you've explained now in their language and they could see it and read it and hear it in their language. Talk about what that does to you and, and the, and the passion you have for this and, and, and Wycliffe in general.
2: Yeah. Okay. The, uh, when we see people and we have seen people hear scriptures for the first time in their language, I can give you an example. Uh, Cindy and I, when we worked in translation, when we first got to Africa in the early nineties, uh, the first translation that we did was luke chapter 2 because we, it was right before christmas and we wanted to have this available to us during the christmas season and for the christmas service and i remember that uh during the christmas day they had a church service and uh, several of us read portions from luke chapter 2. cindy uh, i probably butchered butchered the language the chitembo language uh, but people understood and when they started to understand, wait a minute, this isn't French, this isn't Swahili, this is this is my language. It was like the light bulb, the light bulbs went on. They could, they had an understanding of it that they have never had before. And they had these huge smiles on their faces and their whole demeanor changed because here they're understanding scripture that they've read many times. They've heard the the, the, the story of the birth of Christ many times read in French or Swahili. But when they heard it in their own language, it's like Jesus speaks their language too. And in fact, he speaks all 7,000 languages that are spoken in the world. And that's just amazing. It's astounding. Biblical illiteracy is a big problem here in the Congo as well. And it's, it's why we're here. And even if we translated scripture or helped the Congolese have translated scripture, even if it was just for the church leaders and pastors to have it so that they could use it when they preach. It would be worth it, but in fact, when we do translate scriptures, one of the first things we do is put it in audio form. We work with partners, other partners who do this. We put it in an audio form, record it, so that they can have it on their smartphones. Because Congolese, no matter how poor they are, many of them will have a smartphone, and they can have scriptures in their language on their phones that they can listen to, uh, and and so. We're trying to combat that biblical illiteracy um, in several different ways. And um, I think we're finding success with that because we're seeing people uh, for the first time hearing scripture in their own language and having a new understanding. What is a biblical concept? You know, things
0: like covenant and atonement or things like that. What is a biblical concept that really seems to, more than any others,
2: resonate with the people that you're reaching um the the first thing that comes to my mind would be grace um we know a lot of people whose names are grace so it's an important thing names are important here we know Uh, i married a woman named grace we had (laughs) yes you do and uh we have men and women whose names are grace And it's an important concept here. You hear a lot of uh, messages about God's grace. Um, And I think it's because uh, people see that there's such depravity in this country, uh, such moral failure on every level, and yet God's grace can reach anyone. And, uh, you know, from from the lowest functionary right up to the president, God's grace is powerful and can reach people. So that's one concept. By, by the I way, you're is.
0: describing America, too, by the way.
2: <laughs> I just what yeah, there are the times when The human condition. We're glad we are here in the Democratic Republic of Congo and not there.
0: <laughs>
2: I can understand and, that.
0: I can um, understand. But yeah, it. I think it, that's
2: one of the concepts in scripture that people talk about a lot. It resonates with them. And it, it reaches them to know that there's a God uh, whose grace is deep and powerful.
0: You know, have you ever played that song? Um, by andre crouch the blood will never lose its power let me step over to the caregiver keyboard here uh, I know it reaches that song. to the highest mountain it flows to the lowest valley i love that song um it will never lose its power that's what i was thinking about when you said that because that is that's a beautiful concept that that the human soul no matter what country no matter what language you speak to that grace because i think we're We're built to understand grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we hear it, and particularly hear it in our own language, realize that that grace is there for me. Mercy there was great and grace was free. That's got to be deeply meaningful to you and Cindy both to see the the looks on their face light up. Tell a little bit more about Wycliffe, what the organization's about, its history, and then how people can get in touch with you.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, Wycliffe's been around since the mid-1930s. About 80 years, I think. Uh, I I heard Sydney correct you. Yeah. (laughs) That's not an... That happens from time to time. Um, Wycliffe's been around for 80 years, according to my wife. You know, over the years, we've evolved our ways of working. They've evolved and they've changed. And uh, Wycliffe now is working in many, many countries around the world. There's a whole global, what we call global alliance of Wycliffe organizations, In many of those countries, including the DRC, the Congo, where we work, our goal really is working in partnership with other organizations, with churches, with whoever wants to work with us to see the scriptures in local languages. And another big push of ours is training and equipping uh, local citizens. Not that we want to work ourselves out of a job. We feel like God wants us here, so we still want to be here. But we want to work with them, and we want to pass on our skills, and they actually pass on their skills as well. It's kind of a reciprocal thing. So we're really training and equipping Congolese to do the work, and they're doing most of the translation work that's taking place here. So those are some of the changes over the years in Wycliffe. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way
0: to do that? If they want to send an email or if they want to be a part of sponsoring you guys and supporting what you do? What's the best way for them to do that?
2: Probably the easiest thing is to go to Wycliffe.org. And you can search for missionaries and you can search for us, John and Cindy Hampshire, and find information about us on there. Uh, You'll see what we do and uh, where we work and things like that. So Wycliffe.org is our uh, website. And that's
0: Wycliffe, W-Y. It's not W-I, it's W-Y. Right,
2: W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E
0: john i i I gotta tell you this has been a remarkable time to have with you guys the fact that we're able to do this at all uh when we were in chapel together and listened to people coming home from the mission field and so forth none of this was available i mean a a phone call was exorbitant uh to make and people people i remember the old days when we would make uh, missionaries and their families would make cassette tapes of audio just so they could hear each other's voices. Yep. And here we, we are able that. to. Yeah, you did because that when you started off in the '80s, that's what it was, and and here we are able to do this live uh, and and see each other. And I'm very grateful for this, and I'm very moved by what you and Cindy do, and your whole family. And you've been an inspiration to me for a long time, and I'm I'm very tardy at bringing. You onto this program but it it will not be the last time and i want you to come back last thoughts just on a heart level of where you see the lord taking you in about the next 30 seconds here if you see where does the lord have you going next
2: we get asked that question often um, at our age uh, which is just about 60 ish and uh our our answer is we don't know we don't know how long we're going to be here we don't know how long god's going to have us here Uh, we're here as long as he wants us to be here unless, you know, he would have a reason to take us elsewhere or back to the States. Our our, our children are in a good place and um, we're mentoring other people to do the roles that we do if we should leave, uh, but we'll be here as long as God wants us here. John and Cindy Hampshire in the Democratic Republic of Congo
0: with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Thank you for being a part of this program today. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time.